You're tuning in to the Black Hollywood Live Network, featuring news, interviews, and commentary on all things Black Hollywood. Hollywood redefined. From Los Angeles, California, streaming live thanks to Akamai Technologies, this is Black Hollywood Live. Justice is served. Featuring the week's roundup and commentary on legal news. Black Hollywood Live. Hollywood redefined. You're listening to Black Hollywood Live. And now, the host for Black Hollywood Live, Justice is Served. Hello and welcome to this edition of Justice is Served. Today, the Kentucky clerk who has defiantly refused to issue gay marriage licenses has been released from jail. Why was she released from jail? And is this really about Christianity or her pocketbook? Then, a federal judge has lifted Tom Brady's four-game suspension as a result of the deflate gate scandal. What does this mean for Commissioner Goodell and for the future of discipline in the NFL? Next, the city of Baltimore has reached a $6.4 million settlement with the family of Freddie Gray. What, what impact, if any, does this have on the parallel prosecution of the officers involved? And lastly, Derek Rose, the star of the Chicago Bulls, has found himself in a different kind of court, this time fighting against allegations of drugging and gang rape by an ex-girlfriend. Please stay with us as we will discuss on today's edition of Justice is Served. I'm your host, Sarah Azari, and I'm I'm joined today by my co-host Chelsea Galicia. Hi there. Hi, and uh, just just a little disclaimer: it's about 125 degrees in the San Fernando Valley today. So if our makeup starts uh, in a few minutes dripping down, excuse the appearance. We'll have our little Maybelline moment and we'll move on. All right, so um, let's get started with the the most ridiculous and most hypocritical story I think we have this week, which is the uh, the issue about Kim Davis, the Kentucky clerk in Rowan County, Kentucky, who has defiantly for several months since the June uh, um, Supreme Court decision um, uh, claiming that, basically ruling that same-sex marriage is constitutional. It's a constitutional right that we have in this country. She has defiantly refused to follow the court's orders and to issue gay marriage licenses. She will not issue them. Not only she won't issue them, but she will refuse to allow anybody in her office, any of the other clerks, to issue them. She said that it is not of God. She is such a good Christian that uh, it, it is it is completely against her religion to um, to facilitate this. This is not only in contempt of the court, which is why she was jailed for six days, but it is unconstitutional. She is taking. I mean, she's very well aware, Chelsea, of the separation between church and state. But she's taking her own religion and she's throwing it down people's throats and basically saying, just because I'm against this, you guys can't do this. Um, I have a lot to say about her, but I want to start off by asking you about her little six-day jail stint. Um, why do you think she was released, and uh, what what? how is she different, if at all different, because of this? Yeah, great question. So she was released because during the time that she sat in jail, five of the six other uh, deputy clerks started issuing the marriage licenses to mm-hmm. everyone. The one who didn't is her son. Mm-hmm. So the office complied with the uh, judge's order to issue the licenses. And so that's why she was released. Everyone was happy. ACLU who filed the suit was fine with uh, with it. She gets out, though, and her lawyer, oh, my gosh, did you see the video of her getting out, coming out to yes. Eye of the Friggin' Tiger? 
arms up like she had just won a marathon with Mike, Mike Huckabee, Huckabee next to her. Crying. Right. I mean, I hope if he t- teared up over that, that he was sobbing uncontrollably. This is a presidential candidate. This is how pathetic this is. This guy ran over there for his little political moment of fame. Uh, he, he ran over there before she was released to make sure that the cameras capture him visiting her while she's in custody and then walking out with her. I mean, this is what a circus this was and yesterday. And he claims, like, if they want to put her back in jail, that he will sit in jail in her place for eight years. I wish that was possible. But the attorney for Kim Davis has said she still will uh, honor her conscience Mm -hmm. and invoke God's authority. Um, And here's the thing. She is asking for an accommodation. She's Her attorneys are saying that there is a way that her job, because she wants to keep her job, can accommodate her religious freedom and allow her to stay in her job and receive her 80000 a year and whatever else benefits. I wonder if she took paid sick leave during her jail stay. I don't know, but that's a different issue. So she wants to keep her job but be accommodated and allowed to not have her name appear on the licenses and allow other deputy clerks to issue the licenses. That is what her attorneys proposed. Yet, at the same time, her attorneys have said that the marriage licenses that were issued in her absence while she was in jail, that the deputy clerks issued, should be invalid because mm-hmm. she didn't approve of them. So there's a little bit talking out of the both sides of her mouth. Well, one of the things I know is the governor of Kentucky is not, he's made it very clear, and in a way what he's saying is like, you're a joke, okay? Get a hold of your religion, get a hold of yourself, and do your job. If, if your job conflicts so greatly with your religion and your exercise of your religion, which it really doesn't, but if you feel like it does, go get another job. Okay, but the governor said, you know what, We're, I'm not going to make any changes to the system of how marriage licenses are issued in the state. It's a waste of taxpayer dollars. You go figure it out. That's basically what the governor's saying. But the issue here is is that um, she, you know, she doesn't her job is to facilitate the issuance of these marriages. Her job is to, she's a government, elected government employee. Her job is to uphold the law, obey the law. She is not above the law. And, you and know, there is no such thing in our constitution as God's authority being above our man-made our laws. laws of the land. And, and here's what I have to say about Kim Davis. The Bible, uh, the Bible recognizes your first marriage as the only marriage. Every other marriage after that is adultery. Kim Davis is on her fourth marriage, you guys. Her fourth marriage. Well, the other she thing- is committing adultery every day. So guess what? Her love is above her God. Her $80,000 a year, her paycheck is above God. Okay? And now suddenly when it comes to gays... You know, she's throwing them under the bus. And I'm no expert on the Bible at all, but something interesting that I read is that in the Bible, it says that you you can't remarry somebody that you've already been married to. And she, her fourth husband is her second husband. Right. So even though she well, can claim that now that. I mean, the Bible's against divorcing. That's the whole issue. Well, but like, she said, uh, apparently her, her come to Jesus moment came after the divorces. And I, I think it's more, it's more recent. So if it is more recent and you know, God's forgiven her other divorces, the fact is, is that she continues to live um, in 
you know, abomination of the uh, in of sin. The, in she sin continues having, to live for, in sin, but she doesn't want to let gays, you know, same-sex marriages take place where the Supreme Court has said this is a constitutional right in this country. These people have a right to love. Okay, all of us had rainbow-colored profile pictures on Facebook for like a month since June. Okay, because this is this is now we're finally getting with the program. We're recognizing that it's a right. Doesn't matter. If you're the yeah. same sex or the opposite this sex. This whole religious freedom right does not exist the way that Kim Davis and her attorneys and Mike Huckabee and even Ted Cruz was there too. That doesn't ex- Kentucky has a religious freedom thing, but that was for private people like bakers who didn't want to have anything to do with a gay wedding. Right. But yeah, if you're a private baker, you don't have to bake that wedding cake for the gay couple. But you're an elected official of the court. You got to do your job, you know, or give up the 80000 that's the problem I have with Kim Davis. And the other problem I have with Kim Davis is that now somehow she's a martyr. Now sometimes she somehow she's done the six days in jail and she's become I, the emblem and the icon of anti-gay views in this country. And by the way, all this Christianity and conscious thing, BS. This is not about Christianity. It's not about her conscious. It's not about her God. It's about her pocketbook. Very soon she's going to release a book. Mark my words. She's going to go on and give interviews tour. left and right to Fox, okay? And she's going to become some Christian, well-paid Christian circuit speaker. That's what this is about. And and Mike Huck- Huckabee next to her is yet another example of the hypocrisy. To, for somebody like him, with these views, uh, it is so scary that this guy is running for president. And that's the thing, is that as, as much of a joke as this all is, this is uh, a former governor, somebody who's running for president, who is telling us to ignore the law who says it's okay to ignore the law right. if it violates your conscience. Mm-hmm. Well, it violates my conscience to send so much money to the military for us to bomb people, but I right. still pay my taxes. If there's and you an still exemption, obey the law. You still obey the law. If, if right. I, it, right, if something right. violates my conscience, then I want to be given the same right. accommodation, but that's never going to happen. It also, As a woman, it also violates my conscience that I uh, somehow am not supposed to be able to choose what I want to do uh, in case of an accidental pregnancy. That violates my conscience, but you know what? If these guys, if these conservative groups pass a law where abortion is illegal, guess what? I have to follow that law. So what's good for the goose is good for the gander. I mean, I mean, this is this is why I have such a problem with um, the the issues that keep coming up week after week involving Christians. There it's either cheating, yeah. it's either you know being in contempt and defiance of the law when you're a government employee. You've taken an oath and you've sworn and promised to follow the law and to facilitate the law for others. And now, what are you doing? You're not only not facilitating, you are hindering their ability to exercise their freedom to love. Yeah, I, I, I mean, mean, this is ju- this is just, I mean, plain ridiculous. There is no basis in the law. I mean, she can speak that she personally does not agree with Absolutely. this. Absolutely, and she can, by the way, she can be as Christian as she wants to be. She can be, she doesn't have to like it. She doesn't have to do it. She doesn't have to get involved in it. But you know what? She cannot stop her office from issuing these licenses. And I think that's why she was released from jail, because on a civil contempt, there's no standard jail sentence that you're supposed to serve. You either decide to obey the law and the judge is satisfied that you're going to obey the law, which is not 
not her case because she's made it very clear through her lawyers that she's not going to make any change in her in her ways. Or the judge feels like putting you, keeping you in there is not going to make any difference in the outcome of your willingness to obey the law. And so he releases you. In this case, it was really neither one of those. What happened was the judge realized that marriage licenses were now being issued by the office and he felt satisfied that, that they will continue to be issued. And he warned her, if you hinder Mm -hmm. the issuance of these licenses in any way, directly or indirectly, you're going to be back in jail. So today she's taken the day off. And I wonder if this is a paid she is day nefarious. off. And and I guess tomorrow <laughs> or Monday, I, I'm not sure that, that she was going to take either a day or a couple of days off. When she goes back, I'm sure we'll have round two in jail unless she I mean, resigns. Yeah. When the Fox News offers come in. Yeah. Well, you guys, please. I mean, this is a has been a huge issue, um, you know, uh, and it's not just limited to these Christians, these devout Christian groups, um, you know, and they're anti gay and equal marriage, uh, same-sex marriage um, views, it seems to be weekly with them where there's some hypocrisy going on. Either it's with being on Ashley Madison and preaching your high morals to the public or, you know, meanwhile you're cheating, or it, today it's about Kim Davis and her shoving her religion down everybody else's throat. Um, meanwhile, she's a government employee. So we want to hear from you. Please tweet me at Azari Law and Chelsea at Chelsea Galicia. I'm going to turn it over to you for our announcements and the rest of our docket. All right, great. So we're going to next cover the Tom Brady. He won his appeal and he's going to be playing football. The first four games that he was originally suspended from are uh, no longer suspended. He will be playing. And uh, to me, this was kind of fascinating about how he won this appeal. The judge said, basically, and, and, and this is, you know, number one thing when you appeal something, the first thing you raise is due process. Mm-hmm. I didn't receive notice, uh, represent, wasn't represented, wasn't um, given the opportunity to cross-examine witnesses. I mean, this is like standard, you know, straight from law school, w- appeals 101. Mm-hmm. And it worked. Mm-hmm. The judge agreed that uh, basically he didn't say due process rights were violated, but in essence, that's what kind of appeal he wasn't this able was. to defend himself fairly, and right? Completely, um, and, and I agree. But go ahead. So uh, <laughs> I, uh, I did not know that there was witnesses that apparently he was not allowed to question. Um, he did not have notice that if he had general awareness of what was going on with these balls, that he was facing the prospect of being suspended mm-hmm. for four games. So he wasn't given advanced warning about it. Um, and basically it's just saying that the, the collective bargaining agreement, uh, it, it, the, the center of it is about what constitutes a violation is general awareness, a, a violation. Mm-hmm. And if you are going to uh, face consequences that you have to know up front, what those mm-hmm. consequences are going to be. You can't be, you can't be found essentially what, what Judge Berman, uh, who's a district court judge in New York, said in this case is, look, Commissioner Goodell is not only making up some kind of a policy that he's claiming has been violated by Brady, but he's making it retroactive um, as though he should have known that that policy existed. Now, the NFL brought up a couple of manuals saying that these are the manuals that have the policies that Brady violated. Neither of those manuals are part of the collective bargaining agreement between the the Players League and the NFL, uh, I mean, the Players Union and the NFL. And so, you know, I think that Brady absolutely did not have adequate notice. Notice of um, of what 
rules were in place about the deflation of balls, it's very different than uh, using uh, performance-enhancing drugs. There's no, even though the NFL has tried to compare it to that, it's it's very different. Um, and so he didn't have noticed that there was some kind of a policy that he would have violated. And, and then on top of it, to have general knowledge that someone else has violated that policy is even a farther stretch. Not only that, you know, one of the two leading investigators, he wasn't able to, just the arbitrator said, Goodell said, no, you can't um, cross-examine him. Okay, you know, I mean, and even though rules of discovery are different in arbitration proceedings than they are in court, and that, and by that I mean in court, they're far more um, extensive, and you're allowed to do a lot more than you are in arbitration. This, you know, according to Judge Berman, this was so egregious, and the way that they precluded him from access to witnesses and to evidence that he really needed, you know, the investigative notes, for instance, he wasn't able to see those to be able to properly defend himself. So I think this is great because this decision came in right before the season premiere and he's now back. He's not missed a single game and the NFL has appealed it, of course. Right. Well, they're not going to block him from playing. They're not going to try and get any injunction, but uh, Goodell wants to appeal it because he, he thinks that uh, it's, it's necessary because they're, they're, in order to protect the integrity of the game. Right. But that's such a, a broad, vague, ambiguous mm-hmm. term that it, it can't be applied in this case to, uh, I, I don't think, to win an appeal. Mm-hmm. So uh, Tom Brady will be playing, and that's good news. I have a couple things to say about this. There's, but there's two ways the appeal can go. One is that the appellate judge can say, you know what, somebody like Goodell has such broad powers that he could do whatever he wants. But like you said, this is so egregious. The other way it can go is that, you know what, these these the list of of um, deficiencies that is pointed out by Judge Berman, you know, is is so substantial that um, even despite his broad powers, that, that Brady has not been given a fair opportunity to defend himself. And I, I don't know about you, but I, th- I would go with the second argument. I, th- I think that on appeal, I don't think the NFL is going to prevail. And I think the, um, the biggest message in this for me is that this is the fifth time now that Goodell has been undercut in his rulings, okay? It's not look, he doesn't look good. You know, with um, the Bounty Gate episode involving the New Orleans Saints, then with Ray Rice, then with Adrian Peterson, then with Greg Hardy, and now with Tom Brady. And so some of the the the, the folks out there are raising the question, well, is Goodell going to get fired? And I don't think he's going to get fired because the owners of the teams have his back, but it certainly doesn't look good for him. And speaking of the integrity of the game, I feel like he's lost a lot of credibility. I, 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 I don't follow football enough to know about the impact that it has on the sport, on the league. Yeah. Um, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that uh, people are happy that Brady is playing. Very, yeah. Especially people that play fantasy football and want him on their team. So speaking of fantasy... Um, we're going to tell you about what DraftKings.com is doing. They have crowned more millionaires than any other one-week fantasy sports site anywhere. So now that Brady is back for week one, you sh- can, if you would like to, pick him to be on your maybe winning team. 
And this is going to be the biggest fantasy football contest ever because there are $10 million up for grabs, including $2 million for first place and $1 million for second. So since this is just for the first week, you don't have to commit for the whole season. It's fantasy football on demand. Play where you want, when you want, with the players you want. You've never experienced football like this. Just pick your players, pile up your points, and pick up your cash. So this isn't fantasy as usual. This is DraftKings. Welcome to the big time. So now, since Monday Night Football kicks off this coming Monday, it is time to hurry and go to DraftKings.com now, if you haven't already, and use promo code BLACK to play free for a shot at the $2 million top prize in the Week 1 Millionaire Maker. So again, that's BLACK, B-L-A-C-K, for free entry now at DraftKings.com. Don't forget, DraftKings.com. Com. All right, great. Thank you so much to DraftKings.com. This helps us bring uh, each and every show free to you. So go head on over to DraftKings.com and play for $2 million. All righty. So now let's go to another sports story. Uh, this one. Oh, Derek, so you nice. about Derek Rose. Oh, yes. Okay. Derek Rose, the star of the Chicago Bulls, has found himself in a different type of court. This time it's a court of law where he sued for, um, uh, civilly for allegations of drugging and rape by an ex-girlfriend. Ding, 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 ding. That's, that is the key word. Ex-girlfriend. Well, because, um, because whenever I hear about an ex-girlfriend claiming rape, it changes the whole landscape of the case. And here's what happened. Um, he met a girl in 2011. He had a non-exclusive sexual relationship with her for about two years. He then, um, at some point, she learned that he had a kid. She learned that he had a steady girlfriend in Chicago, that she was just the side chick. Um, and uh, she stayed in this relationship. She was also asked to do a lot of, you know, alternative type of things like um <laughs> you know, one way nice yeah, way like, to put it yeah like alternative types of sexual conduct like you know like she uh, was being asked. on Skype she was requested I'm sure yeah. you know for t- she was with him for 2 years she must have done something right but um she was asked to you know <laughs> masturbate on Skype made her feel uncomfortable she was like all right you know she was asked to um bring in other girls and have sex with other girls and lots of things that according to her was were not um the norm to her and so she, two years two years of this relationship and then suddenly well, but we don't know at what point these requests came in and she went along with it for two years well, but i don't know that she went along with it but i you know as an adult i assume that you know if 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 somebody is is so you know into one lifestyle and you're not you can't really continue especially when the relationship is really just based on sex it's not not much else going on there so she lived in downtown LA. Um, she goes to a gathering in 2013 in Beverly Hills where she claims there was drugs put in her drink but not her friend's drink and that she loses consciousness. The next morning, um, she's gang raped by Derek Rose and some of his friends. A lot of unknown uh, Doe defendants in the civil lawsuit are named. And, um, you know, she, she wakes up to used condoms all over the floor, lubricant all over her body, and, you know, she's wearing clothes and she is too embarrassed to go to the police. We we hear that all the time. And uh, and she goes to work. And eventually this comes out and she, she files this lawsuit this year. Right before, you know, you've got two years uh, to file a lawsuit from the date of, um, of your injury, so to speak, civilly. So she brings this lawsuit right before the two-year mark is ended. And keep in mind, 
he ended the relationship. So, um, you know, these to me as a defense attorney, these are big red flags because one of the things that um, I think is really telling in this case, and I want to hear from you with respect to the civil aspect of this, but um, is that there is no criminal investigation. You know, when um, often when people like the this ex-girlfriend, uh, unknown name, um, claim that they were raped, they will go to the police. They'll try to make a police report. And, and often, I mean, more often than not, the investigation's opened. And then at some point, either charges are filed or it's closed because there's not sufficient evidence. But when the police department, especially Beverly Hills, just says, uh, we're not even going to touch this. It but is really telling. When did of, they say that? Because I, my understanding was that she just didn't go. No, she did go. Beverly when? Hills Police Department. Right after? No, no, not right after. At some point she went, but it wasn't, it, you know, they don't have a problem with the delay because on a felony, they have three years to file the case. So I don't think the delay is an issue here. I think the, the bigger issue is the, the nature of the relationship. When you have, um, because rape is a, it's sexual intercourse by force or fear. So it, there's no consent. Consent has to be an element. The lack of consent has to be an element. And when you have an ex-girlfriend and you tell a detective at the desk in the Beverly Hills Police Department that I'm an ex-girlfriend and, you know, we had a sexual relationship for two years, I was a side chick, that already undermines, it is very difficult to prosecute and prove beyond a reasonable doubt that an ex-girlfriend was raped. Now, Except the nine other people. <clears throat> well, she wasn't in a relationship with with them, right? But I think this is—I see this as a shakedown because the nine other people are not Derek Rose. We've got Derek Rose at the center of this, and he makes pretty good living, and uh, and and he's no longer with her. You know, if she was gang raped, she could have brought this suit back then and just not named Derek Rose. She could have named all these other guys, but she said she didn't know who these people were. Right. So the the. The story as told in the complaint is pretty detailed. Um, and, and, and not only do details sort of give the story some credibility, but there are also witnesses. Mm-hmm. So this friend that was with her who was coherent enough to try to get her out of this house where they were being kicked out because some guy said, you know, time to take your clothes out, off. And when they refused, were like, well, then get the hell out of here mm-hmm. then. So the friend left, took her with her, got her in a cab. So there's a cab driver who dropped her off at home. So that's the second witness. And then um, Derek Rose and a group of people allegedly come into her home knowing that it's open. I guess she lived downtown. So go in and she has flashes of of some pretty horrific memories, mm-hmm. horrific if they're true. And then the next morning uh, talks to her roommate and then the next day goes to work and tells a coworker. So when people tell a story, but they conveniently say like nobody else knew, then that is a huge red flag to me. But there are a handful of witnesses who can somewhat uh, confirm, verify, validate Mm-hmm. parts of her story, at least. Uh, and the other part of this that was a red flag for me was the response from Derek Rose's mm-hmm. team. And the attorneys came to his defense by um, 
it's pretty standard, but it, it's it's sort of attacking her, um, attacking the fact that it's been two years, attacking the fact that she um, is only doing this because um, lawyers got in the picture, and, and basically they're trying to put it on you know the, us lawyers. We try and find chicks to go create rape stories about. No, this is not lawyers that come in and, and make this stuff up. Please don't blame it on us. Um, blames it on on. Um, or tries to make her look bad by saying this is the third attorney she's had. Mm-hmm. That that doesn't say anything about Derek Rose's um, guilt in this or anybody else's guilt in this. Uh, a, a woman's um, or, or anybody's right to change attorneys should not be used as against them because they choose to change attorneys. There are a lot of different reasons why people change attorneys. We've talked about this right. with why Suge Knight has changed attorneys so many times. So that doesn't give any um, well, you know, credibility. I mean, but, I, but I do see a difference between changing attorneys in a criminal case versus changing attorneys in a civil case. Because in a civil case like this, the attorneys get paid on a contingency basis. That means that if they prevail, they'll get usually at least 40% of the of the total settlement would go to the attorneys. That's excluding the costs of litigation. Uh, in a criminal case, there's no such arrangement. You pay the attorney usually a flat fee and they defend you. So in a criminal case, you're dealing with your constitutional right to effective assistance of counsel um, and when you're criminally charged. And I think it's it's there's there's more at stake. When you're Switching attorneys, especially you're getting to number three and four in a civil case where, you know, if, if this, if this lawsuit really has some meat to it and some validity to it, why would attorneys left and right get out of the case? Well, because we don't know that that's the case. She could have fired them just the same way that they could have said, Hey, listen, right. I'm not the one for you. We don't know. Right. If, if it didn't happen, just say it didn't happen. I never went to her apartment that night. No friends came with me. Well, to he is, he is I did saying not, that. No, he didn't say. He's he not said saying the, it the per claim se, is baseless. But, it's meritless. Right. It, and that's it, the same to me. That nah, no. I think if if you if you are really innocent, I, I I never left my house or I never left that Beverly Hills party until the next day at at noon. She must have dreamt this because I never left the house. I wasn't even with. Nine guys later that night. I mean, that's the kind of. I I I disagree. I think her story does not ring true. I think there's a lot of issues with it. Again, but from a you know because it's a civil lawsuit and not a criminal case um, that he's facing. uh, You know, it's very likely, as with many lawsuits, you know that better than I do that that there'll be a settlement because you know the risks of going to trial, losing, and then getting damages issued by you know uh, a jury are always. I mean, that risk always exists. So we could possibly see a settlement. But um, I'm I'm looking at this from a criminal perspective. And even though there are no criminal charges, I just I I her story doesn't ring true to me. Um, But, you know, that said, there are these witnesses. There are some things that, you know, corroborate her story, make it more credible. And, and, you know, you're dealing with a different standard of proof. You're dealing with preponderance of the evidence, meaning it's more likely than not that this happened versus beyond a reasonable doubt that it, it, uh, it, it very happened. different world, a yeah, very different world. So, all right. So now on to a follow up for the Freddie Gray story. You remember in Baltimore, this happened not even six months ago where Freddie Gray was arrested, placed in a van, handcuffed, um, legs and arms cuffed and, um, 
emerged with a essentially a broken neck and was in a coma for about a week and then died. Uh, there have been a lot of protests around this. Riots uh, erupted after this. So this has been a pretty big deal. We have covered this pretty extensively. And so this follow-up now uh, I, I think is pretty significant in that the city is uh, considering settling with the family, who has not even yet officially filed the suit, but the city knew it was coming, uh, for $6.4 million. Uh, it, it, they are sure that the language says this is not an admission of guilt of the police department or any of their members, and they have to say that because of the legal proceedings that are going on at the same mm-hmm. time. $6.4 million, uh, to put it in context, uh, the Eric Gardner's family received $5.9 million from the city of New York, and $6.4 million is greater than the last, like, 100 or so police awards or awards against the police department that have been um, given to uh, to families and victims of police brutality since, like, 2011, like, combined. So it's a pretty large number for the city. There are some... Uh, people who are not happy with this, who say that this is not the right time, not the right amount. Uh, of course, those are people speaking on behalf of the police and uh, police union. Which side do you think has it more right, Sarah? Should they well, settle this now or wait until there's an actual I mean, finding I, of guilt? I think they should settle it now. This was a 25-year-old kid um, who was really brutally handled, manhandled in this van, and, and he suffered spinal cord injuries that led to his death. He was a young guy. He had a meant a lot of years to live. And there's a value that's placed on that when you're talking about, um, you know, a lawsuit for wrongful death. And why not pay it now when they know they're going to have to pay some similar sum to that? And then they're going to expend taxpayer dollars to defend this lawsuit that's going to end up what in a winner? No, it's going to be a loser for the for the city. So I think it's smart of them to cut their losses and settle now with the family. Um, I don't think there's any impact on the on the parallel prosecution of these officers. You don't think that it'll give them a reason to change venues? No, you know. Look, I think there's. Uh, it's interesting because defendants um, often claim that high publicity and media coverage is um, denying them a fair trial. Okay, but. Uh, you know, there's only there's only so much of that you can claim. I this is this is not. Um, they're trying. They've been trying to do that from the beginning. They've been trying to get rid of this particular DA's right. office. That didn't work. That didn't work. Yeah. And they're trying desperately to to place this case somewhere else because Baltimore has had such a long history of. Um, uh, racism by its police and antagonism of you know police against black citizens that they don't want the trial there because of the 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 jury pool that's going to be listening to this trial that that is going to be uh, witnessing this trial. So you know the motive of the defense lawyers for the police officers is that is it to say anything and everything to try to get this case out of Baltimore and into a more neutral. Uh, playground. I don't think it's going to work because um, this is not the type of high publicity that merits, you know, um, a, a ruling that you know the, the case has to be moved just because there's high there's a lot of a lot of publicity and they you know I, I don't think that they're getting a unfair trial um, because of this. Um, so you know I I, I don't think it's going to impact and like you said it's not it's not an admission of guilt it's a civil settlement although in a non-admission of guilt for six, nearly six and a half million dollars is a little bit hard to 
to comprehend. Really, it's not an admission of guilt, but you're paying six and a half million dollars. So I do understand that just the, like the sum of money. Sure. Um, but also, you know, in a, in a, in a, uh, when you give jury instructions to a jury in, 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 in a criminal case, you can stand there till you're blue in the face and say, you need to follow the law. If my client doesn't speak, he has a constitutional right to remain silent. At the end of the day, if that, if jurors have this, you know, gut feeling, gut feeling that yeah. they really want to hear from your client. You know, it doesn't matter what you say, what the judge says, it's going to impact, you know, a little bit their, their decision psyche. making, their psyche. Yeah. And it's the same goes for, you know, this, this civil thing. Okay. You guys have heard about the civil settlement. You cannot take that into consideration in your deliberations. Well, you could say that all you want, but somehow if you get one juror who thinks, well, why would they settle if yeah. they weren't guilty? Although it will, I, now that the, the, um, judge has decided that all of these defendants or six of them will be tried separately. Mm-hmm. They're, they're going, I, I imagine the defense for all of them is it wasn't me. It was that guy. Right. And they're all going to point at each other. And so the fact that the city uh, settled a suit will, will not in any way, um, disturb their defense right. because they'll say, yes, there was wrongdoing. Right. A man died that shouldn't have died. This was mishandled. Right. And, but my client was not the one that did it. Right. It's the other guy. Right. So All right, we want to hear from uh, our viewers about this. Do you think that this was a fair settlement? Do you think it was too little? Do you think it was too much? What impact do you think it might have on jurors in the criminal case uh, when the jury hears about the evidence against these six officers? Please tweet us and let us know. And please also tweet us about the decision in Tom Brady um, and what's going to happen to Commissioner Goodell. What would you like to happen to Commissioner yeah. Goodell? Um, I'm at at Azari Law, and Chelsea is at Chelsea Chelsea Galicia. And we've got one bonus story for you, a quick one to cover, about Dwight Howard. Did you hear about this? Showing up to the airport with a loaded gun, and he's allowed to get on the flight. I was shocked when I first read this, and I thought, this must be a case of a celebrity, you know, getting special treatment. And then it turns out that there's actually a law in Texas. It's a new law that uh, makes it... um, not quite okay, but it, it, it says that a, a passenger can avoid arrest on a third degree felony charge for bringing a pistol into an airport secure zone so long as they immediately leave the area about being told, upon being told about the weapon. So in this case, what happened, Dwight Howard went through security, TSA found the gun in a, uh, carry-on bag. And uh, once they found it, somebody came and took the gun. Dwight Howard got on the flight. Everything was peachy Mm -hmm. cane. So uh, I I was shocked that, okay, so Texas has a law, but wait a minute. Flight stuff is a federal issue. Airport stuff. Yeah. yeah. Can, Can the state exempt itself from, you know, federal rules i mean we we have massive counterterrorism efforts mm-hmm. going on in this country we can't even bring toothpaste or perfume on a flight but there's a chance that you can bring a gun on a flight mm-hmm. because it actually um it turns out that more than 2200 guns the vast majority of them loaded so scary were discovered in carry on bags last year and that that number grows um each year but the the TSA only finds a percentage of them, mm-hmm. like not even a quarter of the time. So 
there are guns getting on flights. Mm -hmm. That is really scary. And so for Texas, I understand that their view on, on guns and carrying guns is much more relaxed than in other parts of the country, including California. But the idea that Texas is going to make it somewhat less of a big deal to show up to the airport with a gun and have a higher chance of that gun getting on a flight mm -hmm. is incredibly frightening to me and seems completely hypocritical with the the rest of the laws, uh, the Patriot Act and all that stuff that are being done in the name of, of, of counterterrorism. So mm -hmm. for me, this is unbelievable, not because of Dwight Howard, but because the state of Texas well, has... But I think, that, I think that the secure zone is where you enter, really enter into federal um, jurisdiction is that you know the 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 um the front part of the airport where you know I'm dropping you off you're dropping me off um is more of sort of a public zone less restricted once you pass TSA then that's where you know sort of the guns are drawn so to speak um but in this case I think well, that you can't sh remember there was a time you couldn't show up to the TSA like line with Water or and right, I mean, but the rules loose and forget about water now. I mean, water still you can't. But I'm amazed that you can have knitting needles, metal knitting needles. You can have scissors. You can have tweezers. I'm you can less have afraid objects. of those than a gun, right? And so, but but you know, guns a gun. I'm anti gun. My my solution to this is don't have a gun, and then there's no issue of where you're going to be with the gun. But um, I think I don't think it was about. Dwight Howard and his celebrity status. I think it's definitely um, Texas has obviously very loose rules around possession of guns and what they do when you're possessing guns somewhere where you're not supposed to. But certainly because somebody came and took this away, um, he didn't actually end up in that secure zone armed, um, I think dispels any type of, you know, alleged violation on his part. So um, on his part, but I I, th I think it is just bizarre that the state of Texas would sort of support the state Oop, of Texas is bizarre. So what do you guys think? Please tweet us about this at Azari Law at Chelsea Galicia. And this brings us to the close of today's edition of Justice is Served. We thank you so much for tuning in. Please come back and see us next week. Uh, same time, same place right here on Justice is Served. Thank you. Bye. From executives Kevin Undergaro, Dario Kristen, Tiana Hobson, and the entire BHL staff, we would like to thank you for supporting Black Hollywood Live, the first online broadcast network dedicated to African-American entertainment. For questions and comments, contact us, info at blackhollywoodlive.com. Like us on Facebook, tweet us, or Instagram us at BHL Online. And I am the official voice of Black Hollywood Live, Scipio, Instagram, at KingXOBay. Thanks for tuning in. The views expressed here are those of the host only and do not necessarily reflect the views of BHL or its owners or principals.